I think it's easy for charities and, and not-for-profits to end up in this similar bland, blamange kind of place that doesn't arrest any attention, but it needs to get attention. It needs to surprise. It needs to be impactful to cut through uh, in this world. From Virtuous, I'm Noah Barnett, and this is the Responsive Fundraising Podcast, a show where we talk with fundraising leaders and thinkers to uncover how today's top-down profits craft remarkable donor experiences and build lasting relationships at scale. On this episode, I'm joined by Gordon Pont. He's the partner and strategy director at Collab Agency in Australia, and him and his team really help brands connect the intersection between marketing, sales, content, and technology, and help them grow and engage consumers with their brand. But not only that, Gordon has a long history of working in packaged goods and consumer packaged goods, and has actually helped a lot of organizations package their stories in a way that attracts attention and helps increase impact. But that's not why I asked Gordon to be on the podcast today. The thing I thought was interesting is how he's using his experiences and his passion as a donor to serve as an ambassador for Opportunity International. During our conversation, we dive into that. We talk about the importance of story. We dive into ways and strategies Gordon has seen work for organizations to capture attention and ultimately turn that into committed ambassadors. How do you go from attention to ambassador? Let's dive into the conversation. Gordon, you now run strategy and help lead a agency in Australia and and help clients really kind of increase their increase their activities and their sales by helping them, you know, tell their story in a in a more compelling way. Um, across a variety of, of platforms and channels. But before we dive into like the work you do and that collab does, I wanted to hear more about your story. Like what drove you into the work that you're doing now? Like how, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, hi, Noah, and, and yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm originally, I now reside in, in Melbourne. Um, and uh, I married my wife down here. Um, and, uh, yes, I, re- I grew up in Sydney um, and, you know, fairly traditional kind of a, a, an upbringing, really. I, I, I grew up in Sydney, a nice beachside suburb called Maroubra and, and you know, enjoyed the beach and I, I love the ocean. I, 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 uh, it's my really homecoming. It's kind of baptismal every time I jump in the ocean. Um, I came, uh, I studied there, studied business degree. I did a postgraduate degree. Um, and then I worked for a number of FMCG, fast-moving consumer goods, um, one of which was, you know, a fantastic company. In fact, Campbell Soups, a great American company um, I spent many years with and really cut my teeth, uh, I think, in a, in a marketing sense uh, in, you know, places like Campbell Soup and Coca-Cola that is in the Coca-Cola company, um, ran uh, an innovation arm and a, a regional marketing uh, piece for them over in New Zealand and the Pacific Islands and launched a lot of non-carbonated beverages over there uh, as, as the world was sort of pulling back from some of the sugary drinks. Uh, so it's really had a, had a, I won't say diverse, but, a, but a, a, a cutting of my teeth in some of those more blue chip consumer goods organisations. Uh, and so that's, I think, given me a bit of a a leg up in terms of strategy because of the way that those businesses think and train their people, uh, I found was has been particularly good. 
So, and then, and then no, gone on. That was going on for a while, but, you know, like many people, you know, they get around 40 or so and they kind of think, do I want to do what I've done in my past? Uh, do, I, do I want to keep doing that in the future? And I decided that I didn't and I wanted to uh, try and carve my own track and, uh, and use a lot of those skills and learnings that I've had, sales and marketing and innovation areas, uh, and bring that into my own agency. And I, so I partnered up with a, uh, a good mate of mine who I met at Campbell's Soup, David Gaff, and, um, and, and we initiated the collab agency. And, uh, and here we are, 10 years. In fact, we've been going for 10 years now, Noah. Yeah, and it's incredible how, like, you know, kind of these, these paths we take to our new realities. <laughs> and you, even yeah. then, it's, it's really about, like, the people that you engage with. Like, you mentioned now that your partner at Collab is yeah. someone you met at Campbell. And it's kind of this, like, you know, that squiggle then led to you to this moment where in, in, in the work that you do now and that you get to celebrate 10 years doing, you know, I have a similar kind of journey. I don't share very often, but, you know, I was working yeah. in nonprofit technology after I left nonprofits and I took kind of a, a hiatus while still doing nonprofit technology to go do some work inside a nonprofit kind of in parallel. And even though that, that fit in kind of the, it wasn't the right place for me, I was able to spend a year learning how a big organization operates um, and uh, like how a large nonprofit works and operational efficiencies and kind of the structure there. But as part of that, I also was introduced to Gabe Cooper, who's the CEO and founder here at Virtuous through that nonprofit because they were evaluating software and Virtuous was one of them. And then I kind of went on my own path and then kind of circled back to that uh, which led me to this now. And it's so interesting how like these squiggles actually create collisions with people. And then the outputs yeah. of that is what I'm so fascinated by. So I appreciate you sharing that story. And, and, and I know, so, you know we're, I suppose we are part of whatever we're, we're in the middle of another squiggle right now that we just might not realize. Hey, <laughs> Oh gosh. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, we're definitely coloring outside the lines. If it, we can definitely, I have a few younger kids and they luckily color in the lines, but right now it definitely feels like we're coloring outside the lines, but uh, so be it. Uh, um, and, and I know Gordon, you know, you mentioned the work that you do for at Collab and now that you're 10 years in. And the interesting thing I saw is that your agency really works at kind of the intersection of marketing, sales, content and technology and you kind of really at the collision of these types of things could you share more about this intersection and how you really help clients navigate this in today's world yeah i mean that's is a good insight and that's for us i suppose um all those areas they go hand in hand in in today's world um at collab agency we kind of see them working together in that marketing Marketing is responsible for the attraction part of your business. So it has to make sure that your brand is attractive to your most important customers and, and is also communicated in a, in a distinctive way so that you get noticed. Sales, uh, on the other hand, is responsible to convert those leads that marketing activity brings in to the organisation to convert them into customers. But for sales to do that well, it has to buy into the strategy, but it also has to inform marketing of what content could be communicated to actually improve the positioning of, of the business. So there's a real natural mutuality between particularly those two functions that I often think is a bit underplayed 
now. And so we really want to champion bringing those things together. And as for the things like content and, and technology that we're involved in there, I suppose we see them, content is really like the assets uh, and the technology is the vehicles through which your business communicates to help, to inform and, and to prosecute the business's value uh, in a digital world. Yeah, no, and it's so true. And I think it is like the overlaps there that actually uh, give you the opportunity to find like the, the margins that can help you move forward and build trust with customers or uh, enable you to kind of create this unified experience that expresses your values. And I think when we find those intersections, that's when we're able to kind of express that well. And I'm sure that, you know, your agency helps or a lot of organizations uh, be able to tap into that. Yeah, that's right. There's a richness in the silos and, and, and not being a silo, you know, and, and bringing those together, breaking them down and, you know, it's kind of the synergy argument, you know, that the, the, the collective um, is better than the singular and, and all boats can rise, but you have to buy into that uh, notion uh, and that's yeah. I what we believe is the best way to go. You brought something up and it's it's really important. We talk a lot about it in, or Gabe talks a lot about it in the responsive fundraising book. And it's about this idea of breaking down silos and being able to find the synergy by doing that. But that's really difficult. And I, I know this isn't something we talked about before, but I'm curious, like when you're working with a, with a client, I'm sure you're hired in, you know, by one of these functions, most likely marketing of some sorts. But then you're coming in and making suggestions that have overlap in areas maybe, you know, outside of frame for that individual. Mm-hmm. What maybe, maybe not lessons, but challenges have you seen and helped or organizations overcome as you, you try to even work together in that way, you know, because it, it does build synergy, but it's almost the hard, hard part is getting it to actually function, <laughs> not really the doing of it once you have the intersection. Yeah, yeah, I suppose the, um, like, I don't know, it's sort of not rocket science. You're right, we, we usually, we either go into organisations usually through a marketing arm um, or, or even better still, preferably into most small to medium-sized businesses through the, the general manager or the MD or something like that. And, and we found that when we, when we talk about it, so we have a workshop. Typically we will try and get a workshop, particularly when it comes to content creation, and it's a very easy argument. To, that's often businesses have the silos built in there, but it's a very easy argument, particularly to the general manager, to say, hey, look, you know, to talk to them about sales and you, so um, they're the, the real team who kind of get the, the numbers and here, they're the ones who are living day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month by, by their numbers. To say, look, those guys and girls who are in those teams, they're the ones that, that should be, talking to marketing and they're the ones that should be involved in these workshops that we're doing. Forget the fact that we're a, it's a marketing kind of driven, we're an agency, we're a marketing kind of organisation. We need to get that insight and perspective and input into the forefront of the organisation and, and, and the organisation's comms. And usually with the MDs, that's received really well. Um, and in fact, in in, in most cases, the sales team is sort of like, yeah, oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be a, a part of this. They kind of think that's that's good fun. And the marketing team are kind of, you know, that's that's okay. We don't find a lot of um, pushback in, in that area, but, but, but 
but it takes us to sort of suggest it in the first place um, to, to be able to, to break down some of those silos because um, it's not the natural way of things. At least here it's not the natural way of things. Maybe changing, but um, it's not the historical way. Yeah, and I, I do think you're right to say it's changing, but I appreciate the nod that it's the question that drives the collaboration. And a lot of times when you're working, you know, heads down inside an org, it's the question that's not never asked. Like, how can we come together to work on X? Because it's, you know, that's not a natural flow unless you're in an organization that's really pushing for that. So it is like you, you find the opportunity in the question. And that kind of, that leads me to my next question, because I know in addition to co-leading Collab, you actually serve alongside Opportunity International, which is a global development nonprofit combating extreme poverty as a local ambassador. Could you share more on this and what sparked your involvement with that organization? <clears throat> yeah, um, so full disclosure, uh, no, I'm, I am a Christian and I have, I have been for 30 odd years. So, um, so that has probably at the heart of, um, perhaps my involvement for me anyway. So I've always un understood from that perspective that my responsibility, especially for someone living, you know, in, in the, the first world and the best part of the first world really is to try and to give back at least a little bit to those who are a bit less fortunate than I am. Um, so I'm not suggesting, of course, for a minute that this is a uniquely Christian kind of thing because I know you know, stacks of really generous folk who, who also, you know, believe the same thing. It's, it's just kind of what, what prompted me. Um, so I've, I've given money to charities and, and not-for-profits for, for quite a while. But for me, opportunity fit uh, really well because it aligned with both my values and also my interest in, in marketing and commerce uh, as, I've, as I've grown up. Because opportunity, which, of course, uh, probably you know anyway, there's kind of this consummation between both Australian uh, and US organisations. Um, at its core, it started off doing these microfinance loans, very small loans for people, mainly women probably, who lived, um, who, who sort of wanted to build this business in, in, their, in their local community. And access to capital was really difficult for those who were living below the poverty line. Uh, a lot of loan sharks or just they were, they were deemed to be too big a risk. Uh, or, yeah, the infrastructure wasn't there. So many, so many barriers and challenges. So our opportunity partners with these ethical lenders in local areas to provide these small loans. And those loans allow these folk to try and get ahead, to try and dream and to try and build a business that can support their family uh, financially and therefore that can be invested into the health and well-being and educational outcomes. So it really works um, virtuously. <laughs> it really works um, quite strongly because about, about I think 98% of these loans are actually paid back. So any of my giving or, or anyone's giving for that matter keeps on giving because it, it's, it's given and then it's 98% um, comes back and then it's re-lent out again to provide more loans to more families and employ therefore more people and give people self-esteem and all those great things. So as a business person, I, I love the sustainable nature of the work uh, that Opportunity do. It totally makes sense to me. Um, we like to say it's like a hand up 
not not a handout, and that's 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 why I'm a, a, an ambassador uh, for them. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, like you talked about kind of what motivates you to stay involved, but as like an ambassador for that program, like at some point, I assume you were, you were kind of invited to be a part of this and then kind of continue to do that. And I think what's brilliant here is that there is this engagement by Opportunity International to kind of engage the whole person, not like through their ambassador program, not just, you know, hey, Gordon, can you give us some funds? I know you like our cause, but it's like, hey, can we like bring you into this and be a part of that. Is that something they proactively go out and do? Maybe expose a little bit of the strategy, if you would, of how they recruit and really engage advocacy from their supporters. Yeah, well, I think it's it's quite a, um, a personal strategy on, on their regard. So there's, um, you know, a handful of ambassadors probably in most states in, of Australia. Um, and so in the state of Victoria, so in, in Melbourne, and so there are about um, about a dozen, or just under a dozen or so of us here, um, and and they really met through through the net through the network. So people who have been uh, giving like like ourselves have, and they've got a particular person dedicated uh, within opportunity to be to, to manage, if you like, the ambassador program. Um, and so that gets exposure. It was it was uh, raised to the board uh, a number of years ago uh, about you know we should reinvigorate this this ambassador program. And so that sparked you know what does it mean to be? A, a, they defined what it was. They tapped people on the shoulder. There were expectations of us as ambassadors that that we do continue to give money, but we have to continue you know attend you know meetings and contribute and talk when we get the opportunity in, in front of people publicly. Um, so we have to, there's a, so there's a, a framework um, and, and it, as we even signed off you know, on, on the kind of money that we would try and not, not just ourselves give, but that we would try and work towards. So some KPIs, if you like, for that ambassador kind of group. So it, there's a, you know, that little tight fraternity that meets not not even super often, maybe once every two months. We talk about how we're going towards those targets. Uh, we talk about how we can encourage each other. For instance, I might be going for a swim, uh, an ocean an, an ocean swim that I like doing, and I'll, I'll let them know to let their networks know to go onto my fundraising page and support me. So kind of like it's a we're supporting each other and we're working towards together. I might even tell you a little bit later about a program that we've done recently. We just got off our off our butts and 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 put together a, a program so so that's how it works it's it's quite um low-key uh quite under under the radar um and when we as ambassadors are, are constantly challenged to say you know do you know anyone else in, in your circle who who might want to join the ambassador program and and sign up to the to the commitments and be a part of it yeah, and, and many organizations try to emulate this strategy, but there was something you said that was really nuanced that I want to resurface because I think it's where some of these programs for organizations go wrong. And and you said that you had to sign something, and there's a level of accountability that you, they hold yeah. to you 
that you kind of opted into, you know, there's expectations. I, I find this with children. Like if you have children, then you hold them to an expectation. Like people tend to step up and say, yes, I want to be within the expectations of myself. Mm. I think that's a brilliant nuance that really, I would imagine propels their advocacy program and almost makes you, you know, as you're sharing today, like a proud ambassador because you're like, yeah, I'm being held accountable. I'm a part of something bigger than myself self and like I agreed and I opted in. And, and I love that nuance because I think sometimes as a, as nonprofits, we're like afraid to ask too much of our donors. You know, we're like, yeah. oh, they get they get fatigued or like, you know, we gotta tiptoe around the donor and we gotta do that. And it's like, wait a second, maybe there's maybe there's a alternative here that flips out on its head and says, no, you should ask more of your donors. It reminds me of um, another organization. I think it's uh, the, yeah, it is the Acumen Fund, and they they require every donor to give ten thousand dollars or more a year to be mm. a donor there. And mm. it's not that that's for everybody, but mm. they're very clear. Like, hey, and, and that might have changed. So you know, <laughs> like it may be different now, but I remember it being in a time where it's like, hey, the minimum buy-in here is ten thousand because we want people that are that invested in this yeah. type of work that we're doing. Cause that's the type of work we're doing. It's very serious. It's investment based. It's renewable. It's sustainable. Like opportunity is. Yeah. And I actually love that. Like, Hey, there's a, there's a cost to entry here. It's not just financial, but there's a, a responsibility that you have to be a part of this. Cause this is important. And I think part of the, you know, in, in our kind of Western culture, you know, we like to be, well, you know, if you're recruiting the right kind of people, you like to have something to work towards and, and know that you've achieved it. And and they're they're they're, in the, they're not they're not minus. They're our team goals. They're collective kind of KPIs that that we're working towards. And and of course, there's a self sense of you know satisfaction, or, or hopefully if if you achieve them, or or a sense of reflection and how can we how can we try better because we're not working for ourselves here there's not kpis just for ourselves every dollar raised goes back towards you know providing capital for families and and so the other one of the other things that's that's done quite purposely we we might talk about funds that we have raised but i we're trying to change that metric that we talk about and instead of saying that it's it's like it's translated into families that we've helped so um $5,000 $5,000 will help, you know, 10,000 families because they're quite small loans. So, and, and that's the, the language that I know some of the people internally um, try and use just to remind us about, it's not just about the money, it's about the people. Uh, and, and I think that's another little aspect apart from the, the KPIs that kind of helps making that metric close more closely aligned to your story and your and the goals of of your organization if not for profit absolutely and i think that brings us to like kind of the next question i want to dig into you talked about kind of this like bridging the gap to the story um, and kind of connecting those two things like the participation and drawing that to the story and and they do that through kind of saying five thousand dollars helps this many families but we also know, and you you know intimately, at, you know, because of your work at Collab, that like brand and story are like two well socialized differentiation points. You know, we talk about the story and the brand and how we can like use those things to differentiate ourselves. Because you know, there's a lot of opportunities to give back in our world. And how do you how do you connect supporters to your story? Yet they do require resource allocation, and they're often often underutilized because of this. 
what advice would you have for NGOs or nonprofit leaders as they approach investing in these and try to justify that investment? Because I think sometimes like, well, what's the ROI of this? Oh, well, Mm. we can't do that. We're cutting back, especially in 2020 when expenses are tight. Uh, How should someone begin to express ROI of brand and story as investments worthwhile? Yeah, a good question. Um, well, I think the the brand, uh, not for profits, NGOs, the brand is the story, and, and indeed, the brand wouldn't exist as powerfully with, without a story that can be told and felt. So people buy brands because of their story, for that reason. And, and it's, I think it's the same with NGOs or, or donors or, or volunteers. They've got to buy into your brand because of the story. It's got to resonate with their hearts. So any, any investment into that area should kind of be seen as more building an asset in your operation. If you could just in, indulge me just for a little bit on the, on some some psychology that that I think is kind of, I think is relevant, but it may have you and listeners may have heard about two systems in in the brain: system one and system two. This, but system one is this fast, intuitive, emotional kind of part of the brain, and system two is slower, more deliberate, and more logical. But system one is the one that rules, that fast, intuitive, emotional. That's the one that rules, that makes our decision. So if NGOs, I think, want to tap into this notion, then they need to have a compelling story to engage that fast, intuitive, emotional um, the, 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 um, part of people uh, that stories, and only stories really, can, can tell. Um, so stories powerfully told taps into those deep emotional values found in system one thinking. So I think psychologically there's a lot of evidence to suggest that that is a worthwhile investment. But in terms of investment or even resource allocation, as as you asked about, uh, I'm not sure. Again, there's some research from uh, Les Burnett, Peter Field, um, they're Australian and also a UK um, kind of business through the independent professional advertisers in the UK that suggest, and it is for consumer-focused brands, um, but, you know, like a lot of NGOs um, I think are obviously a consumer-focused kind of business, multiple stakeholders, but, of course, they are consumer-focused. The, the, that research there suggests that the expenditure on brand versus execution is about optimally and so is around 60-40. So 60% on brand, 40% on execution. And and that the why that that mix is the best long-term way to grow a brand. So so for us that might be you know 60% on brand and story building and 40% on fundraising activations. That's what they say over the long term, and they've studied brands over the long term, actually leads to growth, uh, that kind of um, resource allocation between the two. 
Yeah. And, and I think you, you mentioned something, you said, you know, your brand is your story. And, and, and then parallel to that, like the story is the cause, the, like the cause, the story is what you're trying to get people to engage with. And so the investment there is essential. I think in some ways we, we focus so much time building the bridge that we neglect the story and the supporter, you know, cause we're like, Hey, let's double down, let's invest, let's build the bridge. Like, which is like the strategies and the mail campaign and the, you know, the creative and like all of these different things that we, we for, forget that we might be building a bridge between, you know, a supporter that doesn't exist and a story that no one cares about. And so yeah. I do think it takes that deep investment and almost like looking up and saying, well, what, what are we bridging between and how do we make sure that we're serving those well and we're doing it in the right way. And that 60, 40 split is something I think is, is right. Not because you said so, or the research says, but it, it, it makes sense if you think about what we're actually trying to do as leaders. And yeah, I, I think just the, appreciate the, that. Money, the money spent there, that 60%, like in your CEO, they're not going to get an immediate return on, on that. But, but I think the, the principle from, um, you know, from a human perspective is that, that you, you, you've associated your brand with a feeling and an emotion and your brand stands for X and I really believe in, in, in child sponsorship or whatever whatever it might be and, and that's really good and you get that connection. Now, they're not going to go away tomorrow necessarily and, and do that. They may, uh, but what you're building is, a, is a, a, that connection, that story builds that connection and then that can be activated on with the 40%. And, but... Over years, that that can build um, for you, and it, so you, what you're building is a bit more sustainability um, in the growth of, of your operation. It, it's not always immediately obvious. I I know that, um, but but it does underpin uh, the activations that you do if you've already established that in in, in people's minds. Yeah, and to kind of bring it back a little bit to you know your your work with opportunity how do you how do you see that play out there do you do you do you see them kind of investing in that and then that, that leading to impact not only in your your connection but the connection you're able to present to others that might be interested i wanted to kind of see if there was an example there of how you know opportunity has invested in brands and that's created an opportunity for you to connect uh, support yeah, I, easily to it um, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not sure. I'm just not sure if I'm, I'm close enough to, uh, the, um, the, the decision-making on, on how those, uh, those assets, I'm more at the, uh, the executional end. <laughs> um, uh, you're the bridge builder. I get it. I don't see, um, I think it's from from afar, so I might it may be wrong, but um, I know they the way they tend to go about it is not through um, um, a, a broader mass media campaign. It's more of a selective um, get try to get alongside some major major donors or major businesses who they feel might have a very good fit for their business and 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 try and tell that story. So they probably tell it in a more micro kind of a sense uh, rather than a. A, a, a macro kind of sense. Yeah. One is you still need to have that story really well buttoned down and, and it to resonate um, 
um, emotionally with with people's system one thinking when they hear it, so you can gauge them. So yeah, yeah for sure. And I think I think it too. No, no, it's okay. And I I think you hit on another point is that that story that is seated in you as a donor, as a as a as a collaborator with opportunity has to also be shareable. And one thing I talk a lot about is like when causes are thinking about their story, they need to ensure that they're designing in a way that it's designed to be shared. You know, it's not I'm delivering the story from A to B. It's not always organization to donor. And in in most cases, if we think about the research that uh, Jonah Berger has done on word of mouth, you know, his research from um, the Wharton School, he said, you know, 93% of word of mouth happens like between uh, offline between people, like on Friday night when we're at the bar and we're sharing about our day or our story or the products we use or the products we hate or the fact that we had a bad brand experience or a good brand experience. And -hmm. I think that's the same way with philanthropy and like the the charities or the causes that we we are a part of and by seeding or packaging the story in a way that's easy to share like you did at the at the top of the call where you're like oh opportunity does this and they do that and this is why it's good and then it's it's it comes back and they get paid you know pay back 97 percent of the time and then they're able to reinvest that in families like you were able to drop that story really well and i've only interacted with opportunity a few times over my you know, 10, 15 years of philanthropic giving. And I know that story by heart. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not even an ambassador, but I think it has because they they've kind of uh, created this like packaging that is very easy to share with others, whether it's from me to you or you to somebody else, or from the organization through an ad or through a video or through, you know, a large scale media campaign. Like the yeah, story so- translates really well. Hold on. I, I, and I think that was quite, um, I know I mentioned it earlier and that's exactly what you've picked up on. The, it's it's a, the notion of the brand is not just a consumer kind of a, an outward thing. It's a 360 degree um, notion. And that the notion of that brand and that story needs to work on, yes, consumers, and maybe that means mass asset, but, but it also needs to work on other stakeholders and it also needs to work on internal staff engagement. And that and it also needs to work on for volunteers, for people who you're not even paying. It's got to work at those levels and that investment, whether it be 60%, still got to be invested in, you know, may not be seen above the line advertising, but it's got to be invested. For instance, opportunity, have they invest in a person who looks after the ambassador program? That's an, that's an investment. Um, and and so the it has to resonate around the, the 360 notion. And same story uh, and the more sameness and... Um, system one engagement you can get with that, you know, then I think you will make traction over the long term and 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 grow, um, you know, growth for the for the business that you're trying to run and the the people that you're trying to serve. Absolutely, and I think we we've kind of touched on this already, and I know we're we're almost out of time, but I want to kind of end on this is is this idea that we're the story matters because you you want it to resonate with the supporter. But one of the challenges that get in the way, and Virtuous, we've talked about this a lot, we talk about this in responsive fundraising and on this podcast, is that attention is also the key, like a key currency in here. And I I honestly see attention as probably the most valuable currency in today's world. However, like earning that attention is like really hard because attention's fractured, there's competition, it's quite fierce. Um, 
Any advice, you know, as, as someone that comes from the marketing agency world and the consumer packages or uh, world, like how do we capture attention in a world that feels ever increasingly loud and fractured and noisy? And it's just kind of like, I just want to shut down and block everything out. How, how do we capture attention in, in, in 2020 and beyond? Great question. And I think um, quite, quite a difficult one too. I, I'm reminded because um, of a, I should really know who the uh, the ad, ad man was who said this, uh, but he certainly was a, a doyan of I know the American advertising industry. He said there were I think there were uh, the ten laws of advertising. Uh, the first law was to get noticed, but nobody ever remembers the other nine. And and I think that sort of summarizes the the need to to get attention. Uh, I think to to earn attention. Leaders should be focused on three things. One is uh, the importance of light buyers. Uh, the second one is the importance of focus. And the third one, importance of being distinctive. So on the first one, the, that Les Burnett and Peter Field work, that concluded that brands grow or your business or your not-for-profit will grow from attracting this long tail of light buyers they didn't grow from getting more out of the heavy buyers. So they're more out of the long tail of light buyers. So I, yes, this research was done on, on grocery brands, but I still think the principle holds true for our organisation. So that is if not-for-profits need to reach beyond their current donor base and be attractive to lighter consumers, lighter givers, and lighter volunteers in order to grow. Now, on the second one, I know that dollars are tight and, and of course, you know, you don't want to spend your money too thin. So this is kind of my, my second point, that I think leaders should be thinking about specific focus on people or group or regions that they could penetrate to garner incremental albeit light interest. So, so this is about the law of focus. So you haven't got so much, but if you can specifically focus your funds and uh, penetrate into an incremental area, then I think that would be good. So, and the good thing is I think these days is that the digital in this digital age we can better focus our messages. We can better focus audiences with geodemographic targeting values-based targeting available through through media platforms. So better focus, uh, I think, is one, one thing that I, I, I would say. And the third one is that your brand needs to be a bit distinctive. It should be your story well told, as we talked about earlier, but also your imagery and, and your tone of voice uh, it should be distinctive. I think it's easy for charities and not-for-profits to end up in this similar, bland, blamange kind of place uh, that doesn't arrest any attention, but it needs to get attention. It needs to surprise. It needs to be impactful to cut through uh, in this world. So there, for what it's worth, thoughts on, on how leaders... Um, you know, could try and earn attention in, in today's world and grow. Yeah. 
And, and I think number one is so interesting because we talk about the, we talk about them as like the everyday donor. So it's the donor that does like, you know, they're, they're not like giving every day. That's not what that means. And we probably need a better name as a <laughs> note yeah. to the, the brand and marketing people, but it's kind of thing like where they are like this donor that gives often or gives every once in a while, like, but it's smaller amounts. It's kind of passive. Cause what we've seen is that those donors, there's been like a, a 25% decrease of those donors in the last decade. And not just mm-hmm. like from a specific charity, like from giving it all. And in some ways, like our message as, as organizations and as an industry in the nonprofit space have like pushed those donors out and said, generosity is, you know, giving is not for you based on how we've treated them. And so I think that's a great reminder too. Like we can't neglect like all of the donors we have and, and only focus on the big ones. We got to engage all of them. So I think that's, Really important. And the number two is like my mantra, like focus is so important um, and getting in the weeds is in, on that and making sure that you're really diligent on it is, is important. Cause let, you know, going back to opportunity, for example, like I've been hearing the same story for at least a decade from opportunity, you know, it's consistent. It's the same, it's repeated, it's processed yeah. like over and over and over again. And I think that focus helps make it easier to digest and connect with them where they now have earned my attention because they have stayed consistent in a world when not much is consistent. And I think consistency and focus is actually more important today than ever before because of that. Yeah. And the, the focus is of, of the story and it's also focus of investment at, at, at a, at a, at a critical area or an incremental area that can, can grow your donor base. So money, you know, instead of spreading it wide, just go for, you know, region or a geography or a type of person, you know, that, that you can better target, I think, in, in today's in today's world. Have a crack. Absolutely. You know, read yourself yeah. with people. We often talk in, in business, it's not that we, we talk about, uh, particularly for uh, B2B kind of clients, is getting beyond your Rolodex. Like is, that's the challenge is you've got your Rolodex of people who you know and are going to be there and that sort of stuff. But if you want to grow, you've got to push that to one. You've got to, you've got to get more cards in, in the Rolodex because um, mm. you can't rely or it's risky at least to rely just on those people. Um, you, you, you really need to, to penetrate new, new networks. Yeah. I, I think what's interesting though is it's expansion while still staying focused and not losing your yeah. story in the process, because I do think Mm -hmm. there is a note of, of there's a school of thought where it's like, you know, we need to diversify our donor base or we need to diversify the ways that we acquire donors. And, and there's Mm -hmm. some truth to that, but I've always seen it is with successful nonprofits, they're still investing about 70 to 80% of their resources and time in the story and the, uh, I hate to use the word channel because I think that's going to be misconfused, like whether it's social or TV or radio, but by channel, I mean like the campaign, like they, they're still running the same thing for the majority of their effort. And so, yes, there's some diversification, but it's like, how do we really find something that we can scale up and work and double down on that and invest in that yeah. and diversify through executing that well in different avenues and expanding the impact of that? And then before going and trying to be like, you know, how do we raise money on TikTok, you know, or something like, it's like, what? No, stop, you know, type thing. So I, I, that focus is important and that leads to growth and expansion, but it doesn't require fractured investment. 
because that's mm. fractured investment is not a cure to fractured attention <laughs> in some ways. Um, uh, deep, deep investment, I think, is really important. And having that atomized or kind of like a handheld story that can go to market and spread um, uh, is so, so important. But Gordon, I think these are great reminders and I really appreciate your time and your expertise and you being willing to share your story uh, and just really thanks for being here. Hey, could I, would, could you indulge me? I, I, cause I know just on the last area, um, you know, we talk of sometimes you think, you know, you've got to spread yourself and, and try and attract more people. And, and, and I don't know whether people who might be listening or yourself, you think, oh, that's a, that's a big effort. But could I just share one little story? It was, if I, if you would indulge me. Yeah, for, a for sure. Well, yes. I, yeah. I've seen, we did this a really simple thing. It was just here. It was here in Melbourne with, it was with those ambassadors. We started this thing, cook for opportunity. And, and what simply what the ambassadors, this group of, you know, 12 people or so, um, what we did was we found uh, a, a chef or a couple of chefs in Melbourne. Melbourne's known for its foodie kind of, kind of culture. And uh, we said we got these guys, this uh, team of people uh, led by a lead chef and we ran this online event, and and you could cook with the chef a, this particular meal or a, you know series of dishes along with him in the virtual environment at the same time as him and his team are doing it. You know, with the roving kind of uh, cameras and that that sort of stuff. So we got people to register. Uh, they paid ten dollars to, to register to be a part of it. Sent them out the. Um, the, the recipes and the ingredients, got them to buy everything and do some little pre-preparation beforehand. So I did this with my daughter on, on online. And then we all, everyone logged in, hundreds of people logged in um, and we all cooked this dinner uh, at, at the same time. But what we did was, I suppose that was the event, but through uh, our own networks and through, of course, opportunity networks and through our own social medias, we told people, hey, why don't you come along to this event and cook a wonderful meal for your family? It'll be, like, great fun. You know, it's 10 bucks and you raise money. It's, it's all cool. We, we're, in, we're in ISO anyway. Uh, why don't we have a bit of fun with this? And so we ran this event. We got hun- hundreds of people uh, came along. But my point, I suppose, yeah, and we raised $80,000. Was, was like, it was, like, fantastic. But I, the, my point was 17% of the people who came to that had never heard of opportunity before. And so that's these long tail of people or penetrating new networks. 17% of people, of those, you know, many people who now can be nurtured and, and, um, and learn more about, you know, opportunity in this case. So that, you know, it took a bit of, you know, time and effort from all our volunteers, but it wasn't, you know, up in lights. Not everyone knew about it. Um, but that's a little example, a microcosm kind of example of how you can grow that long tail of, of people who, who can come to know more about your story and, and your brand uh, and, and therefore support your goals and ambitions of, of, of your organisation.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Responsive Fundraising Podcast by Virtuous. Each episode we've designed to really give you the insights into the philosophy, process, and playbook of leading nonprofits so that you can grow giving and build deeper relationships with the people who matter most, your donors. And if you want to dig further into responsive fundraising, we've actually put together an exclusive content pack just for listeners of this podcast. If you go to virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, that's virtuouscrm.com slash podcast, you can download a content kit that includes the responsive fundraising blueprint, which outlines all of the strategies that are involved in implementing responsive fundraising. You also get the responsive fundraising playbook, which includes 20 plus plays, which are basically strategies that you can implement today at your nonprofit to become more responsive and ultimately raise retention and increase giving. We'll also throw in a bunch of other resources and content that is gonna be helpful for you as you think about how you're applying responsive fundraising at your nonprofit. And it's completely free. You can grab that at virtuouscrm.com slash podcast. Thank you.